the name of one God who creates, redeems, and sustains us. Amen. You've heard me talk about this before, but for the newcomers, I will reiterate, at the end of three years of seminary, one has the joy of taking the general ordination exams, fondly known to those of us as the GOEs. The GOEs are the bar exam for Episcopal clergy. And I would hazard to say that most of us don't forget their GOE questions because our ordination often depends on our answers. Some are easy, some come from left field. But no matter the question, you have three or six hours to get all you know into your well-written, theologically sound and cogent answer. And in preparation for these exams, anxiety is high. And so my friends and I invited over a mentor to have dinner with us the night before and to pray with us in our anxiety and concern and, and hoping that she might have a word of hope as we went into this. And the words she spoke that evening have never left me. She looked at us and said, remember you are not called to be perfect. You are called to be gods. What she meant by that was called to be God's creation, called to be the person God created us to be and that was enough. And I have to say, that was a huge relief to hear, especially as one who does not do well on standardized testing. I went upstairs, I printed out that quote, and I hung it over my computer for the next five days. And in fact, that piece of paper still is ragged, hanging on my refrigerator 17 years later for I am a perfectionist. I do not like getting things wrong. I do indeed get them wrong. You can ask my sweetie or my staff, my friends. It doesn't mean that I like it when I get it wrong. And my fellow perfectionists, I'm thinking there might be one or two of you out there, maybe. My fellow perfectionists out there might be familiar with my, the feeling of, what's the use of trying if I'm just going to mess up? Because repeatedly messing up, getting it wrong, not getting it right, well, that can be painful, embarrassing, shame-provoking, or the best explanation I have, it just makes you feel icky. Yeah? Anybody familiar with this? Huh? And the bent, this bent towards perfectionism makes me wonder sometimes why the disciples, I mean, at least one of the 12 had to be a perfectionist, right? Hello, Peter. But why didn't they just walk away sometimes? I mean, they don't get it right most of the time. And then what Jesus is asking them to do is so out of the ordinary. It seems like so much, and it's so val very challenging. They're clearly going to mess up. 
So why don't they go back to what they know best, like fishing? Right? Why do they give up everything in their life to continue to follow this guy? And I think that Jesus gets to the heart of that question in today's gospel. And as we delve in, I want to point out something. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see that it's actually from three different excerpts within the same chapter. I love it. Everybody went for their bulletin. Good job, guys. Somebody at the 8 o'clock even got out the Bible there to check out what they missed. So, but in each of these sections, Jesus is actually speaking to someone else. In the first section, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. In the second section, he's talking to the crowd. And what you don't realize is the last two sentences, he's actually gone away with the 12 disciples and is speaking to just them. And yet, it's important to realize this because his message, while the same, goes deeper and deeper each time and hones in on his point that what draws us away from God, what defiles us, is not passive bad habits. It's rather our active lack of good habits. As Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and scribes about defilement, I want to be clear that defilement is not sin. Defilement in this, sen in this sense means you aren't in proper relationship or you aren't in proper alignment to worship God. Defilement means you aren't quite in right relationship. And when you are, it leads to a fulfilling life with God. Now, we could argue a lot with many of the books in the Old Testament that tell us what defilement is and is not, but really they're talking about right relationship. And Jesus, what Jesus does today is blows it out of the water and says right relationship isn't written in the book of Leviticus. Jesus presses back against the Pharisees and the scribes who question him about the disciples' habits. And he goes with a quote from Isaiah, which gets to the heart of the matter. Jesus looks at them and says, these people honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. Jesus doesn't want us to say the right thing. He doesn't want us even to know the right thing. Jesus wants us to do the right thing. It is not a passive habit of not washing your hands or wiping down your groceries as many of us did this past year. That is not what dishonors God. No, what dishonors God is not having your head and your heart in alignment. And that is defiling. That is dishonoring. And Jesus turns to the crowd, the wider crowd, and explains further, it's not what goes in your body that is the issue. It is what comes out. 
It is our words. It's how we treat others. It's how we judge. How we extend grace. How we care for those that we think are undeserving. How we extend grace to those who make us angry. I think you get Jesus' point. And then Jesus goes away and he's just with the twelve and he delivers this last punch. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, Jesus says, and they defile a person. So just in case we didn't catch it the first two times, Jesus explains that it is clear it is our intentions towards others that are the issue. Not our food, not our bathing habits, not our prayer schedule. If you look at this list of 12 evil intentions, as I call them, if you look at this list, everyone, everyone is about how we interact with one another. From murder to folly, Jesus is calling us to account. And let's face it, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to hope that nobody here has ever murdered anyone. Now, I can't say that, there are a lot of things we don't know. But I can tell you, pretty much everybody here has had envy at some point. You can't live in our culture and not have envy. And quite frankly, I don't think you can live in our culture and not have pride. So there's two right there. There is no way with this list that we can be perfect every moment every day in the eyes of God. We are going to get it wrong. We're going to mess up. So why even try? Why not walk away and go lead the hedonistic life with the rest of the world and have brunch and golf or sailing or whatever people do on Sunday mornings and on other times when they could be helping others? Why not just walk out the door? Well, first of all, glad you all are still sitting here. That's, that's hope, hope right there, folks. First of all, the laws of Leviticus, where these actually originate, these laws that the Pharisees and the scribes hold up to Jesus about defilement, they are not meant to be a litmus test. Those laws were written so that all of us could keep healthy, and they were meant to help us live our best life with God. And the same is true with this list of 12 evil intentions. 
in reframing, refraining from any of these, from the worst to what may seem minor folly, there goes all of us, right? But in refraining from these, we not only keep right relationship with God, we not only keep right relationship with one another, which, by the way, is hard work, but in the end, we're going to lead a happier and a healthier and a more love-filled life. For with Jesus, faithfulness always boils down to relationship. Whether you are a perfectionist or not, you're going to get something wrong some of the time. And God knows we will mess up. God knows we will have some of those evil intentions. But we are not to give up. For God, for Jesus knows we are works in progress. Our actions may not be perfect. But we are each God's perfect creation. And this is why I love our current invitation to communion so much. Especially the line, as we hold up the bread and the wine, come those who have tried to follow and those who have failed. Because every week when I hear those words, I remember that God knows I am going to mess up. And I probably messed up this week, and thank goodness we have the confession before Eucharist so I can lay it before God. Despite our lack of perfection, God still calls us to try. God still wants us to show up, still wants to share a meal with us and wants us to know that there is redemption in our failures. God still wants us to strive to be in best relationship with every person we meet. And God knows that is not easy. We won't always get it right. And so we try again to pay attention to how we treat others, how we judge, how we extend grace, how we care for those who we think are undeserving, how we care and extend grace to those who make us angry. And we find, we find when we follow that like the disciples, we cannot walk away. We can only walk toward, toward a God who loves us, a God who encourages us, a God who implores us to try again as God's perfection is in each of us. For God knows we are God's perfect creation. Amen.